0: there is nothing clevelanders love more than a good draft am i right willie well usually that's football justin (laughs) that's true i guess i guess i should have remembered what month it is It's, it's it's july not april we should be doing this in june Uh, This is Justin Ladd. I'm joined by Willie Hood. This is a special edition of the Smoke Signals podcast. I don't know if we've done, I think we did last year. We did a, did we do a draft preview podcast last year? We sure did um,
1: several days before and we talked about who we thought they would pick and I'd actually threw out a rumor um, that I saw on the internet. Somebody was saying that Cleveland was going to go after Carson Tucker and it turned out to be true. So um who knows if they were just throwing something at the wall or they had some inside intel um but we we both know sometimes people can leak and I'll guess that
0: was a leak it could have been I mean you've been telling me all week well I I shouldn't say you've been telling me but you've been cautioning me all week about who's being connected to what and, and what rumors have not been true in the past so because there's been a lot of names thrown out there the last couple of days that didn't seem to make sense. And you would said, well, that hasn't always been true in the past. That one for Carson Tucker indeed was. but
1: Yeah, and that wasn't it's... a
0: reputable
1: or, or – no, I'll take that back. That wasn't a known person that threw that out there. They just kind of linked to them and said, hey, I heard Cleveland is going to draft him. Um, if given the opportunity, and it it held true, so um, definitely, whenever I see that person's posts, I pay attention to what he has to say because something of that significance okay. last year.
0: Hmm. Well, let's get into twenty twenty one. I last year, or so you know, kind of a weird year and, and I I didn't really remember we did a, a draft preview show last year but I'm guessing we did because like you said because what else would we have been doing in June of last year with no baseball on there was no minor league podcast there was no major league podcast even because games hadn't started yet this year and the draft is back in July so we've got a lot to get to let's just run through this um setting the table for the draft the Indians have The 23rd pick in the first round, the 58th pick in the second round, uh, or 58th overall, I should say. And then it moves to they have a a pick in the competitive balance B round as opposed to A. Uh, That's the 69th pick. And they have a pick in the third round that is 95 overall, and then there's a bunch after. There's 125, 156, 186, 216, 246, 276, 306, And then after that, uh, they have the 24th selection in each round, 11 through 20. Um, As as you stated, Willie, in the um, draft primer that will be out tomorrow on IBI, the Indians have four picks uh, in the top 100 and seven top 200 picks with 21 overall selections and a maximum draft pool of $7,398,000. They are not allowed to go over. I think we got all the details clear out of the way. Anything I missed?
1: Yeah, you're right on. Um, Last year, the pool was reduced. So this year, they're dealing with a larger pool and more draft picks to play
0: with. So it should be interesting. Terrific. Okay. So if you're listening to this, keep those those details in mind as we run through uh, the meat and potatoes of this podcast on the draft. So one of the things we always talk about, Willie, and one of the things you build your draft board from for the Indians and one, and mock drafts is we kind of know, or you kind of know, the Indians' archetype of draft picks. And one of the things people obviously realize, whether it's draft or international free agents, is they like shortstops who can play shortstop. Um, they move them off their, their positions for versatility, but they like want they like guys that who can at least play shortstop if they need them to. They like. Advanced athletic uh, prep pitchers, if they go with a prep pitcher, they like them to be a little bit advanced with their stuff in command and um, athletic types like Daniel Espino, Lenny Torres. And for college pitchers, they like uh, command-oriented college pitchers. But let's go a little deeper than that. So what I have here is, so we have college arms with above average command, prep pitchers with big arms, so that's obviously Daniel Espino, Ethan Hankins, Um, They're not afraid of smaller pitchers like, you know, Espino and... and, um, Therese. Lenny Torres. And this doesn't really apply to prep pitchers, but I wrote down, they like that vertical arm slot. I I keep noticing more and more guys as I I see them make their debuts. You know, there's Nick Enright, obviously, James Karinchak, Mason Hickman, Zach Hart. um, Curry. There's just a lot of guys who have that high arm slot. So I... I don't know. Do you think that's something to write down as a type they like to add into that that list? I do think they like different arm slots. Um, I
1: know there was a lot of discussion about Cleveland and Tampa having similar draft models and um, player ac- acquisition models. And that's something that they talked about with Tampa during the World Series that they used – Various pitchers. I think during one game there was eight pitchers appeared, or maybe it was to that point in the series. But eight different um, arm slots that the hitters saw throughout the series. Um, I think Cleveland likes that because it does give you a different look. That over the top gives you more deception, especially if they're good at pitching up and down in the zone too. Um, kind of like James Crenshaw, who gets that fastball up and then the curveball down. You get hitters going two different directions and. Um you know, I, I'm now that you've looked specifically for arms who are doing that with the with the thought process that that could be something that they are targeting now. And um I know you came up with a couple of guys, but I can't remember all of them that you came up with that you thought that would be potentially um arms that they would target. I know one specifically from my alma mater, which was Logan Workman. Uh, who uses that high arm slot? Um, I don't know if his command. I haven't looked at his numbers, but I don't know if his command fits us.
0: Yeah, his his command is not what I would call above average. It's I think he was a little bit north, and I guess we can you did the legwork on this, but the stats are what uh, anywhere from nine to ten strikeouts per nine, and anything about two walks per nine or below. Um, so you're looking for
1: starting pitchers typically who have three walks or less. They haven't drafted a starting pitcher with a a walk rate above three, um, in several years. I went back several years, even back to, um, I think it was 2016 and Zach Plisak had the highest walk rate of anyone that they've drafted as far as starting pitching goes. And that was 2.96, um, I guess you could kind of give that to him being injured and also him being as athletic as he is. I think that was part of the reason that they were willing to take him when they did – they saw him as a value pick in the 12th round considering he was probably a third or a fourth-round guy if
0: healthy. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, so please, act So, yeah, I think, um, I think Logan Workman probably – from I remember was a little north of three, so I don't think he might not fit that. I mean, he does have the arm slot, so, and he does have
1: on relievers. The number varies a little yeah. bit. So with relievers, it's about three and a half, uh, which would put them in average range. But typically, you're looking two two and a half to three is about above average. Anything below two and a half, look at two two and a quarter. You're looking at plus control um, or guys that are typically um, graded at plus. So I'm, I'm kind of paralleling those numbers with the walk rates and seeing how guys actually perform on the field. Um, and some guys, you know, the the numbers are interesting. They get lower grades, but when you look at the numbers, um, I'll use Sam Bachman, for example, he gets 45s and fifties, but he had a, uh, a walk rate that was 2.35 this year. And that's in the, in the plus to above average range. Um, and he gets a lot of a lot of uh, um, chatter around him that he's going to end up being a reliever. But if he's only walking two point three five batters per nine, you know that's that's, that's, a starter, that's yeah. that. Yeah, that that's starter material there. Even if he gets down right. to average or below average, if he's into the three five range, he could still start.
0: Sure could. Um, Yeah, I think Workman's definitely a reliever. That was just a name I threw out there because I was looking for video. And um, (laughs) I used Twitter and I I just I Google or I used uh, the search for high arm slot. That's what I came up with. There was another guy from West Virginia, but um, he his command was much worse. I think he's probably out of the range. Um, We've got prep shortstops, uh, young for class. Uh, switch hitters, I think switch hitters is maybe not necessarily a type, but a pref- a preference, a bonus, if you will. Yeah, I think that's a bonus. I don't think it necessarily has to be a
1: switch hitter, but I think if a guy can switch hit and he is the same grade as another guy, they're probably going to go with a switch hitter. It offers them more opportunity, um, a little bit more flexibility there.
0: Then we've got famous performers, which is I don't know what what do you what do, I guess what does famous performance mean for someone who might not understand what that means. So that's
1: something that I I say to refer to Team USA, uh, perfect game, uh, area code game performers, guys that have played in these big, high level events that have a lot of experience. Uh, that high level exposure and performance is a good measure for future success. Uh, I think that's something that they have traditionally leaned on as a gauge of future success. If you look back at last year's draft, all three of the prep players that they drafted performed um, at the high school All-American game, which took place in Cleveland, coincidentally. Um, But they were top-tier talent, if you will. And I think that it helps them identify the guys, the players from the prospects, if you will.
0: Okay, so we've got famous performers, um, guys who improved year over year. So maybe if there's a guy who didn't have a great junior year or, or sophomore year, he might, he had a better year. The next year, um, players with good performance the previous two or three years and maybe had a bad draft year, whether that's high school senior year or maybe their college junior year. That one specifically to me was Ruben Cardenas, who – um, had a good, I think he had a good sophomore season mm-hmm. and then had a back injury and didn't quite have the power explosiveness his junior year. So the Indians maybe saw that track record and still plucked him anyway. Is that kind of about right?
1: Yeah. Um, Julian Escobedo and Micah Pries. Pries was actually injured, but he performed at a high level and then was injured late in the season, if I remember right. Escobedo had a, a really down... Junior season after performing high um, during his sophomore year, I had him as a fifth round talent coming into the draft, thinking that he had fourth or fifth outfielder capabilities. And I think they ended up getting him in like the thirteenth or fourteenth round. He he was a later round draft pick. Um, you mentioned improvement year after year. So you want to see your pitchers improve. You want to see the command improve. Uh, as a freshman, they may have a walk rate in the fours, and then sophomore three and then as a junior you may see a walk rate in the two and a half or or close to three range um that's improvement year after year and that's something that they definitely look at if you go back and look at some of the guys I can specifically remember Aaron Savali being one that performed uh better year after year Zach Plisak and I think Shane Bieber was as well
0: mm-hmm so those guys who have improved year over year, and that that all that kind of stuff all fits. I would imagine they plug a lot of that in their model, and we've heard this year the Indians have – I mean, I think they always have. I don't know why people are are kind of harping on it now and some of the mocks and the explanations that Cleveland's gone with a more model-based draft, but they've always used a model, and all this stuff fits into their model, and especially statistically when you're talking about guys who improve – whether it's walk or an average or, or better fastball velocity year over year, all that gets plugged into their model, and and they've always used that. So this is nothing new. I'm not sure why we're seeing it more this year. Maybe it's just because we saw the report that they were relying on data and video for a lot of college players until the, the postseason. Maybe that's why. I'm not sure.
1: I don't take issue with that approach, to be honest with you. With your college players, you have more – track record and performance. It's not like they just get to know these guys. Um, they have typically been on the radar anywhere from five to seven years. If they were a, a high school performer, they had their attention. They've probably been been seen while they were in high school and been seen multiple times. So they're relying on data, um, exit velocities, spin, all of that. I don't know what all metrics that they're using now, but I know this, that there's a lot more information at their hands that they can see who's been successful and go with that. And I'm comfortable with that. I understand why that they would back away, so to speak, on the college scouting, but put more eyes or put plenty of eyes on the prep players because those are the ones you're projecting. So you want to see those guys multiple times. You want to see them at least four times through a year, just like you and I would if we were writing up a prospect piece. We want to see these guys at least four times. We want to see them at the beginning mm-hmm. of the year. We want to see what's going on with them in the middle of the season and what changed for them by the end of the season. What improvements have they made? Did they make the adjustments to the breaking ball that they need to? Did they, change, did they make an adjustment to the changeup or, or whatever the case may be? Um, so I'm not blown away by hearing things that they're really focusing less on actually seeing the college players. Um, as you said, I think, that this is just their model and it's the way that they're doing it. And they may be operating a little bit differently. If I were to guess, I think they're comfortable with the players, the college players, or they're more comfortable based on what I said already, five, seven, more, maybe more years of exposure already uh, in data and video that they have of those players. Um, so I don't think that there's a significant change, but I do think there's been alterations
0: to their approach. Yeah, that that all fits. Um, Yeah, it it makes sense to to go heavier on in-person looks on on prep players, like you said, because I think you can more safely project using data and and the things you like to track, um, and and especially relying on video. There's more video available for college teams, um, and a lot of of the bigger schools obviously have TrackMan and things like that. You can rely on that stuff a lot easier and get to the guys in postseason tournaments than you can than um, you can in prep. Uh, bloodlines is another thing we look for in draft. The Indians are, are very famous for drafting younger brothers of players. Um, so, you know, anybody with a major like Bloodlines, Zach Pleasack and Dan Pleasack. Um, the Naylor Brothers. The Naylor Brothers. I'm trying to think of other ones that are, are not quite offhand, but I mean, that's that's something that they've. Again, it's not. We're not saying these are all necessary traits, but these are things that you know. If if a couple of these add up, if you have like a prep shortstop who's young for his class as a switch hitter, and then might have a, a major league tie from it's and family, you can probably say the, Indian, the guy's on the Indians' radar if a couple of those things come together.
1: Noah Miller would be a, an example of that. He's average age for the draft class, switch hitter, plays shortstop, and he's already. Um, He already has Major League Bloodlines with Cleveland because his brother
0: is Owen Miller, of all
1: people. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, Noah Cardenas might fit that too, although I think it's more likely he gets to college at this point. Or is he in college? I can't remember. Where does he play?
1: He's a catcher at UCLA.
0: Okay. Yeah, so maybe keep him in mind for the back of the draft. Um, Cold weather and projection is another thing. Do you want to explain what cold weather – why cold weather – matters um in the draft sure so
1: cold weather players haven't gotten to play every single day so you're looking at guys like lenny Torres, and you're projecting what he can become because he doesn't have the exposure he doesn't have the innings that somebody would in california or texas or florida would have So you kind of don't have the mileage miles on there and they also lack an experience so you're gonna guess that those players are gonna take a little bit more time because they're cold weather Um, But you're buying the projection and the belief would be that will make up for the little bit of extra time it may require. Sam Hentges is a guy that um, was a cold weather guy and a projection guy because he'd only pitched, uh, I believe, a year and a half in high school and played a lot of first base. Of course, they were projecting Mm -hmm. out quite a bit. He was one of the younger players drafted that year. And, you know, we see that they've eventually developed a left-handed reliever out of him. So um, they have gotten somewhat of a return, but we shall see what he
0: becomes. Yeah, we don't we don't have to get into Sam Hedges on this podcast because we could uh, – I could go a while on that one. Um, and then value. I think value is the other thing that doesn't necessarily fit all the time. I think it's – I guess value is the wrong word. Opportunistic is probably the right word, right, where Absolutely. you have – you have Ethan Hankins who falls to you um, further than maybe you thought he would. And Daniel Espino, the same thing. And I guess you could really even put Brady Aiken into this bucket too, where they thought they were being opportunistic with, with Brady Aiken. Is there anybody else in that? Is that the right term you think too? Yeah,
1: I think so. So you think value because this is a highly rated player that you weren't expecting to have an opportunity at getting Um, seeing Gunnar Hoagland mentioned to Cleveland that would be an opportunistic or that would be a value pick. Zach Plesak would be another example. Someone that I said that um, was a third or fourth round talent, if healthy. Uh, Julian Escobedo, another guy that could have been higher in the draft. Uh, Someone I liked a few years ago that I hadn't quite panned out yet. Trey Benton. Um, He's somebody I thought would be in the five to seven round range. He went after that because he had, I think he was like a 14th round draft pick in had to have Tommy John surgery. Um, but you can find value all through the draft. You can, uh, to me, getting a guy like uh, Nick Miklo, Miklochek in the 11th round is a value pick. It's somebody that started and relieved in college and um, projected well as a reliever, but fell because he was a swingman, you know. Um, and you kind of get some of those guys who kind of get bottlenecked, if you will, because teams are looking for underslot deals and looking to save a few hundred thousand dollars where they can in those latter rounds through the first ten rounds where they can overslot guys um in the following rounds.
0: And that that is where <laughs> that is where scouting departments and, and area scouts make their money. That's where drafts are made is you know you got your first you know three four rounds that you've got a lot of a top 100 top 200 ranked guys but you're talking about you know nick nikolacek and other guys that are in the back half of the draft and mike caprice um that is where the money is kind of made because if you find a guy that maybe someone else is not valuing or you think you can get for cheaper and and undervalue i mean i guess it's kind of like the money ball thing right like if you can pick up where certain teams aren't valuing a trait or they're not sure what to make of this guy and he ends up panning out for you, that's, you know, a huge win for the, the department and the and the team overall. That's where, you know, the money is kind of made because those guys are I don't want to say non value picks, but those are those are rounds and areas that you think you have a very smaller percentage chance of of getting something out of. So when you do, it's a, a huge boost for the department and the organization as a whole.
1: Yeah, and I think you have to be opportunistic. Um, Keeping an eye out on Miklochak, for example, you know, I said he was a guy that was a swingman in college. He didn't get the opportunities to start, but when he was pushed into a reliever, you and I have both been impressed with him. And, um, you know, there's been points and times when I've thought that he would be a useful arm this season. Probably not because of the roster crunch that's coming, Um, but. I think it says a lot that you take a guy in 2019 and he's already close to knocking on the door. That's what I would call value is getting that quick return too. um, also another Mm -hmm. guy out there, Logan Allen, um, Logan T Allen from FIU who's all the way up in double a now, you know, there's additional value in having a guy that he may not have the highest upside on the team, but he's also
0: likely to bring a quick return. Yeah, so I, I definitely look out for those. I mean, and that was harder to do last year because it was a shorter draft. And this year, you will see more of that going 20 rounds. So we explained value. Um, before we get into the the, the, the real meat here, the players to know at each, each pick and at least the first four picks um, and look at the strategy a little bit. Are there any changes you think you've noticed since you said you went back? Brad Grant was the – he directed, was the director in the draft, basically, from 08 to 2017, um, taking over from John Mirabelli, who things went terribly for. Um, and then he got promoted, and they moved Scott Barnsby into his role in 2018. And he's gone prepped the last four years, specifically in the first round, um, or three years. Is anybody – any any differences you've seen between the two?
1: Um, I think the big thing that stands out to me is a noticeable difference on hitters. Um It seems that Scott Barnsby focuses more on hitting ability than uh, Brad Grant did. When I say that, I'm looking at guys like um, Milan Tolentino, who had a lot of 50 grades, 55 grades on his bat. Uh, Carson Tucker similarly graded. um, P.D. Halpin, another guy, 55, 50 grades. It was all 50 and aboves. Brad Grant went with guys like Quentin Holmes and Will Benson, several players that didn't have that hitting ability. Um, in all fa- fairness, though, he did draft Nolan Jones and Tyler Freeman, but I think he was more likely to go for athleticism. Um, barnesby has gone with guys that have contact or hit ability, what I would call, call it, um, with um, – Christian Cairo, Will Bartlett was somebody coming in that had 50, 55s on the bat Um, and considered a bat first, first baseman. Um, You know, he did play a little bit of catcher too, but there's other guys. I think Jordan Brown may be an exception to the rule. He didn't really have high grades on the bat, but extreme athleticism played multiple sports. So you can see Barnes be kind of betting on the, on the athleticism and betting on youth going with a guy like Gordis Valdez. But it seems like he's focused more on um, the ability to make contact. And also I think Cleveland's kind of stayed focused on guys that, with an advanced approach as far as a willingness to take a
0: walk. Yeah, that's carried over. I mean, Benson and Jones definitely fit the, the ability to take a walk. I think athleticism is carried over between the two, through I mean, two, I mean – Zach Plesak was a good athlete, a uh, high school quarterback. I think they've they've looked at players too. If you know, that's one thing. I mean, maybe I should have written down was um, if you hear about maybe they played three sports in high school or yeah. um, had offers at colleges to play sports other than baseball. The multi sport thing really plays for them too. I mean, Will Benson had was a preferred walk on or would have been a preferred walk on at Duke. I think, I mean, Nolan Jones played hockey. I think those things are all – I think a lot of teams like that, but I know that's especially one thing that might be one of those separators for the Indians as far as, like, taking one guy over the other. If he's a three-sport three, three sport athlete versus focusing on, you know, baseball most of the year. So I think that could be one thing that has carried over. Um, let's get the hitters to know. Let's go by pick. So I, I don't really want to go too deeper in, in this because I feel like – Maybe we can go up to 95 here, but anything beyond the first three or four picks I think is really hard because at that point you're kind of focusing on specific areas and maybe taking the best player available um, down that far. So maybe we should start with pitchers. Let's start with pitchers to know, because pitchers to know is the piece you had out today. Um, Hitters is going to run tomorrow. So let's start with uh, what pitchers should people keep an eye on at, pick 23 for the Indians if they decide to go pitching?
1: Well, I think this comes into what are they going to do with the pick um, later on? You and I plan on really discussing that and kind of feeling that out. But Scott Barnesby and his two drafts, um, so he's responsible for 2019 and 2020. And he's produced two picks that were under slot at the top pick. So Daniel Espino came in at 2.5 million, which was about um, about 400,000 under slot, and then he went with Carson Tucker last year, and I believe that was around eight or nine thousand, eight or nine hundred thousand under slot. So I would expect another under slot pick um, when I go through the names. Some of the ones I threw out here, if you can get any of these guys in the two and a half range or, or under the draft slot at 23 and the draft slot at 23 is about 2.9 million. Um, It's pretty close to 3 million, but just shy of it. So I I think if you think a price tag of somebody is above 3 million, you're probably not likely to see Cleveland take those guys. I mentioned Andrew Painter there. He may be an exception to the rule, Um, especially when there was rumors that Cleveland liked Cole Wilcox and, had a deal in place with him for $3.3 million, which would have been the highest Cleveland has ever paid to any draft pick that I'm aware of. Um, the highest offhand is Francisco Lindor, who received a full $2.9 million. Um, I threw out Chase Petty at Prospect's live draft. He fits and checks a lot of boxes. Guys like Gage Jump, Anthony Meadow. Um, of course, there's been a couple of college arms mentioned. Michael McGreevy, uh, ad nauseum. Somebody I really like, Will Bednar, was mentioned to Cleveland and um, a mock that I talked to you about before this uh, recording. And I think somebody else like Frank Mazzucato, who's mentioned by Kylie McDaniel today, he makes a lot of sense in a lot of ways, too, because of his youth. He's a cold weather arm. He has a plus curveball right now. It's high spin. Um, a guy with physical projection remaining. He's six foot three, one eighty. Obviously, he hasn't filled out his frame, and he's one of the younger arms in the draft class. So there's a lot of check boxes or box checked for Mazzucato. Um, I mean, if you're asking me who, who to pick or who I think they'll pick, I think there's a good possibility it's Petty. He's a mix. As my friend Tondo. As he goes by on Twitter, says um, Petty is a mix between Lenny Torres and Daniel Espino, and I I definitely agree with that assessment.
0: Yeah, he's shorter, not not a big guy, but has a, a good strong power arm and um, a cold weather guy. So you're right; that that kind of fits everything there, and both all of, all of those guys have good athleticism and, and Petty, you know, you've stayed on him the whole time. I'm trying to think there's somebody else too. I have to look. Somebody else had Petty mock to them. Uh, Thangraph. So Thangraph's uh, last mock, I think they're going to have one more mock before Sunday, but um, their second mock had Chase Petty to the Indians at 23. And they, their reasoning was specifically to, they were told to mock him to a team that values um, things like pitch data and a model heavy team. So, which, which is surprising. We just talked about model heavy being the route they go for college, but obviously, it sounds like Chase Petty also kind of fits that mold as well because he has. I don't. I don't. I haven't really seen his track man numbers or anything. Rapsodo numbers anywhere on him. Um, I just know he throws a hundred and has a really nasty slider, and that that arm slot to be is a little bit scary. It's not really conducive to like a. A fastball with a lot of movement, but I guess, you know, when you get up to 100 consistently, uh, like Daniel Espino does, it doesn't quite matter.
1: Yeah, I think um, you put him in a system like Cleveland that can develop pitchers, and you have two present plus plus pitches or better, in my opinion, and a changeup that projects as a potential plus pitch. So that's three potential plus pitches. The guy's going to get outs one way or another, If it's blowing the ball by people or making them look stupid with a a breaking ball that falls out of the zone. Um, Mm -hmm. Immensely athletic. I like the worth ethic. I like that he reached out to Jack Leiter to help him improve his mechanics, but also his slider. So he's continuing to do work and he's not just settling in. Hey, I'm a first round arm and I'm going to make bank. Um, He's working to improve himself on the mound. That athleticism, he's also a multi-sport guy from what I've heard. Um, Getting comps to guys that really stand out to me, Walker Bueller, Daniel Espino, and Lance McCullers. Those are three smaller framed right-handers, but all of them with special stuff. I think you have an opportunity to take a pitcher with three-plus pitches or better and it's laying in your lap, again, he may have fringe average control. I think there's potential because of his athleticism and our, I say our, maybe I should say Cleveland's pitching development. Um, I think with Cleveland's pitching development, he could be a special arm, and I think that they could get him into average, maybe above average range
0: um, with a few tweaks to his mechanics. And you mentioned Will Bednar. I that was the one mock draft you read. I uh, that's the first time we've seen him get down to twenty three. And I, as much as fun as that would be, and as, as and I like Brian Ruckus content. He's a a draft guy on Twitter. If you don't follow him, um, I I have a hard time believing Will Bednar is going to be available for them at twenty three. It'd be great, but I don't see it just because of how good his college world series was. And and I think you mentioned younger brother of David Bednar, who's the for the pirates. So he fits the Indians bloodline thing. Um, And I think, what was it today? ESPN, Kylie McDaniel had Gunnar Hoagland at 23. That's the first time we've seen him get that low. I think that would be, I think Gunnar Hoagland is one of those guys we talked about with value. And you mentioned that already about maybe you have a a draft plan and, and Gunnar Hoagland's in there at 23 and you didn't think he would be. And you scrap that plan and you grab him and he's a, a Tommy John arm. So there's a little bit of risk involved, but Once he's healthy, he seems like a guy who's going to move a lot of fast. So maybe that's a a pipe dream at 23, but maybe definitely one where you, if he falls to you, you kind of scrap your plans, grab him, and then kind of reevaluate where you're at draft-wise. Absolutely. Um, Going into the Prospects
1: Live mock, you and I discussed this for a couple of hours, actually, and we kind of came to that conclusion. If he is to fall there, that's an arm that you take. He's somebody that would have went top ten, maybe in the back half of the top five. Um, but somebody that offers present stuff, somebody that could probably be pitching on a major league staff in short order. It's gonna take him a, a year, 18 months to get healthy. There's typically good results with Tommy John arms nowadays, you know. Um I think there's a 75% recovery rate. So there's a good probability that he's gonna going to reach the potential that he once had. Some pitchers actually come back stronger, throwing harder because of the focus and the intention and attention that they put into pitching um, and staying healthy. Um, I think we saw that with Josh Tomlin, who gained a few miles of velocity after he recovered from um, his Tommy John. But he's also Mm. a guy that has at the very least plus command and, because of that, he'll be able to locate his pitches or he should be able to locate his pitches and move quickly.
0: And at 58, you mentioned who's still in play. I would think that someone like Gage Jump might still be around in 58. It's our buddy Jared, an IBI contributor who loves very much uh, Gage Jump. Robert Gasser, someone you talked about, Jonathan Cannon. um, I would think all those guys, if they're there at 58, depending on how they go in the first round, I don't know if they would go with those guys if they went with Petty, but those are all pitchers that could be in play. I'd imagine at 58, if they decide to go with the hitter at 23. Anybody else?
1: Um, yeah, Tommy Mace is somebody that's been mentioned a couple of times. He's a little <laughs> bit older than normal, but there were rumors that Cleveland liked him coming into the to his high school eligibility um, into the draft a few years ago. So somebody that could be there that they would like. Um, you know, there's other guys. You mentioned Robert Gasser. I mocked um, Landon Marceau to Cleveland. I, I think you get a couple of maybes with an Andrew Abbott and maybe a Ryan Webb. Of course, Ryan Webb, you're going to take a risk. Um, he's a Tommy John Arm, former reliever turned starter, and Andrew Abbott, former reliever turned starter. But both of these guys, um, track record year over year improved. And that's something that they've looked at, you know, as I've said several times, something that they've looked at significantly. I think you're looking at a similar type of player available at pick 58 and pick 69. I don't think there's a lot of difference really. I mean, there's 10 picks difference there. So you may be able to get a similar player or the same player, um, at 58
0: or 69 you mentioned tommy mace that's an interesting name to me i remember last year watching the draft and talking with you and jared about it that i think i remember watching on tv and seeing mace mentioned and jack Leftwich too who i think Leftwich won undrafted draft and went back to school or is he just the first time eligible this year he went
1: back to school as well he's actually uh 22.9 years old so he's almost 23 year old uh similar to tommy mace he's He's older for the draft class um, because he returned to school because he wanted to pitch himself into first-round discussions, and it, he added velocity, but the the pitching, well, his performance didn't follow suit with the rest, so he did not pitch himself into the to the back half of the first round. Yeah,
0: yeah he was somebody I – mean, I just remember seeing those two guys, both being from Florida and, and them going on draft, and everyone thought they wouldn't be. Um, I feel like Mace is getting maybe, – maybe I just kind of wrote him off a little. He's a big kid. Maybe I wrote him off because of the age. But not somebody we talked about a lot early in the draft process. Like I know it's not someone you and, and Jared have mentioned a ton, and now it seems like as we get closer to the draft, his name is starting to, to float a little bit higher. Do you think there's some, some light healing in there for him at, at 58?
1: I don't know if it's as much – him particular as much as it could be, um, the match as far as him being a command control guy, uh, the previous ties to Cleveland, if those rumors are true, but also maybe, um, something that right. Barnesby alluded to yesterday when he was, when, when he had a presser and, and Mandy Bell wrote about, um, which was them utilizing the depth of the draft class. And that would be, Maybe coming back at, at fifty eight or sixty nine, even up top at, at twenty three and going under slot and saving some money back and picking up a guy in round two or three or even several guys kind of like they did last year, uh that they went overslot on, like um Milan Tolentino and Petey Halpin were both guys that they came back overslot on to, to get signed.
0: Yeah, some lease would not require probably whatever he Whatever whatever slot he falls into, let's say he gets drafted at 58, not someone who's going to take up, let's see, that pick is 1.214. I don't know. Does he – if the Indians take him at 58, does he go for the full 1.2? I
1: give him 750, uh, similar to Landon Knack last year, the 23-year-old that um, really jumped onto the scene from – Eastern Tennessee or Middle Tennessee. I can't remember which school in in Tennessee. I think it was East Tennessee State or something like that. Um, 23-year-old, if I remember right, he got a $750,000 signing bonus, which was really good considering his age and Mm -hmm. a smaller school, but a guy that had 60, 70 command coming into the draft.
0: Yeah, definitely an under-slot play there. Let's look at uh, pick 69, which is, is kind of maybe where we'll, we'll drop off as far as names to look at per round. Maybe you can mention some others after that, but um, just looking at your piece today. I'm, I'm moving down the board a little bit. So Chad Dallas is there. Landon Marceau was a guy you threw out on Twitter as we continued um, the Prospects Live mock on Twitter. Um I, I recognize Chase Silseth's name a little bit. And then I'm going to go ahead and guess Mike Vassil, who, like you said, never never quite got the velocity back after um, arm surgery at high school or before he got to college. Um, I'm guessing Mike Vassil is probably more of a, a fourth rounder versus pick 69, but who, who do you see them considering at 69 if they end up going pitcher at that pick as well? We didn't mention um, Dylan Smith earlier, who would
1: be a possibility if he lasts to 50A. I frankly don't think he does, Um, and I don't think he's an option at 23 either, but he's somebody that if he were to slide, I I think would be considered there because he's a strong SEC performer, has an above-average slider, above-average to plus control. Um, Looking at pick 69, like I said a minute ago, I think you're looking at similar guys. Um, Now, depending on if they're trying to move some money around, we'll say – um, somebody that like Chad Dallas, who's a strong SEC performer, he has uh, above average to plus control, has above average slider and curveball already, sits low 90s and can run it up to 97. That's somebody I would go under slot four at 69. Um, I could potentially see it pick 95 or, or 125 as well because of his size. Uh, but I think this strong SEC performance this year really bodes well for him. And uh, that type of control command with – Team's always looking for starting pitchers. He'll go off the board in round three or four, I think, but it's definitely somebody they could consider there at 69. Um, Jonathan Cannon and Robert Gasser, again, guys that could be in that 58, 69 range. Um, Cannon has excellent control. He doesn't blow hitters away. And it's kind of surprising for a guy that's six foot six and over 200 pounds. Um, but if you look at the numbers, he really has 70 control. I know he doesn't get graded that way, but when a guy walks in with a 1.8 walk rate in nine innings, that's, that's 70 grade control right there. You know, um, Mm -hmm. he can definitely finesse the ball, not necessarily what you want, but that crossfire delivery, uh, may throw some teams off. I don't think it does Cleveland. Um, we already have Hunter Gaddis who has a, a crossfire delivery himself. And I, I can't think of another arm in the system that, that does, but there was
0: somebody that was coming to mind. Robert Gasser to me looks exactly like Logan T. Allen yeah. 2.0. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's funny. I was really saying my... to you earlier, you know, i had been mentioning Gasser for over a month or so. G- Gasser in fact is one month older and we're a month later with the draft. So, you know, There's that, but I, I think Gasser, very similar player to Logan T. Allen, uh, 6'1", 190 lefty. Nothing that really stands out or screams at you, Um, but he's athletic. He can run the fastball up 94, 95. I, um, I've been on him for a while, and somebody I would be pleased if we got it at pick 58 or 69.
0: Yeah, I think that's someone for sure if he gets down there and – depending on what they do with um, 23 and 58 and how that all goes. I think that's someone that would really um, fit their profile quite nicely. Anybody else you want I mean, I mentioned Mike Vassell. You mentioned Dylan Smith, um, but you don't think he'll be there past 69? I, um, I don't think you will be there to be buttons. honest with you.
1: Um, you know, Sean Sullivan is a guy me. that makes a lot of sense for them, and Aaron Davenport, but those guys are probably – um, more middle-round guys. But there's a, a ton of names on that list. I'll let people filter through them and uh, definitely encourage them to check out that piece because there's a lot of guys on there. And I'll say that I'll probably I'll probably get some of the guys right just by sheer volume, um, but also by narrowing down the guys and looking specifically at stuff and past draft
0: tendencies. I think I looked at... The video on Aaron Davenport, and I thought, okay, he has that high arm slot. There's a guy for sure that um, looks exactly like a guy we would pick with that curveball fastball combination for sure. Um, yes, yeah, I small, think just reading camera,
1: athletic guy too.
0: Yeah, and, and again, those are things that Cleveland is is not scared to take when they have guys that are, you know, quote unquote undersized. They're not. A, they're not. You know, turned away by that, where the teams might be, and then Sean Sullivan. I think Taylor, I, he's
1: one of the youngest college players available in the draft class. But he's also six foot, six foot one, one eighty. Another guy that's small but very athletic. Usually sits ninety, ninety one, but can bring it in at ninety four. Um, a guy that's got a four pitch mix, something that Cleveland likes when they have four pitch mix. Um, and he's got that above average slider and control.
0: And if Cleveland thinks they can help him gain, you know, a tick or two of velocity, then, you know, who cares about how tall you are and see what they can do with you. I think I read Tanner Bibby's uh some of the stuff on him from another site, and I think he sounded someone like Cleveland would pick. And I know I think you and, and both Jeff Ellis last year were surprised that Cleveland didn't pop Trenton Denholm as well.
1: Yeah, that was uh a player that Cleveland was tied to last year. and In fact, they have drafted out of that conference several times, including Shane Bieber, then Holm, and then Bibby, both from the same conference, and then Brian Wu, who is a player from Cal Poly, uh, a reliever from Cal Poly that I think could be a a later-round gem. Um, But Gordon Graceffo is a guy that's getting a lot of chatter right now from Villanova. I know he was on MLB.com's top list, and apparently he's performed quite well in the Cape and and getting a lot of attention appropriately. So uh, somebody that I think that we could potentially pop in the mid-rounds, five to seven, something like that. Um, Villanova's not necessarily known for being a pitching school, obviously, but I think
0: there's some talent there in Grisepo. I also saw you had Nick Maldonado on here as other ones. I liked him in the college world series as well. So that's another, another yeah. name people might be familiar with.
1: Maldonado, I believe is actually a sophomore eligible player. So he has leverage, but he's also 21 years old too. Um, his walk rate, though, I mean, know. his walk rates in the 60, 70 grade territory. I think he ha- he walked six guys in 40 something innings. Wow. That's that's just impressive. And that's something that teams will really like and maybe try to pay overslot for to get him off of campus. And of course you and I both know um Vanderbilt has no shortage of arms available to him.
0: Yeah, I mean I mean he, he was pretty much a reliever for them all year, was he now? I don't think he started, right? Yeah, he was a reliever. I wonder if he comes back to campus if they move him into the rotation now that they're going to lose Rocker and Lither. and Christian Little is their biggest name arm I guess left and he's quite young and had a rough go of it this year just being as young as he was. I wonder if he goes back if he becomes a starter and pushes himself into higher territory because I don't think I don't think Maldonado I've never I haven't seen him anywhere mentioned above the top 100 picks. I don't know where he goes but. Yeah, like you said, over slot maybe and get him out get him off campus and get him into a system and maybe use the leverage that he's a little bit older.
1: Yeah, he's one that I almost didn't put on the list for that sheer fact I thought, you know, losing lighter and losing rocker as you said, he could potentially move into the rotation and getting 40 innings this year, you could easily see him bumping 70 next year. Um and doing so safely as a starter, you know, just Stretching them out a little bit more definitely has the all control right. that we love, but um you know I don't want to get mm-hmm. lost in in all these players. There's a lot of good arms here. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's just one that stuck out to me because I mean, obviously, if you if you watch college baseball this year and you watch the the College World Series, Nick Maldonado was on your list, and somebody people would have been familiar with. How about high school hitters? You have this piece coming tomorrow, so we won't give too much away, but. Um, I did just see Baseball America's last mock that came out today. Um, had Joe Mack at 23, and Joe Mack's a guy we've talked about before. So um, there's Joe Mack, and who else hitter-wise do you think is in play at 23 for Cleveland? I mean, if Harry Ford falls to 23, you take him, and
1: um, don't question, you know, getting a gift. Joe Mack makes a lot of sense. He's a cold weather player. He's a strong um performer in national events. He's uh, a guy that looks like he will be able to stay behind the plate and could always move to left field or first base if need be, but there's plenty of arm strength there. Um he's a quality defender already. Above average bad, above average um raw power potential. You know, it's it's a guy that says, why is he on the board at twenty three? And I think it's just says because it, he's a high school catcher and it takes so long for high school catchers to get there. He's average age. Um, that's not a knock. It doesn't count against him or for him, I think. Um, but I, I think he'd be somebody I would be happy with. I think somebody that they could get under slot to probably about $2.5 million would be my guess. Um, the highest paid player besides Francisco Lindor, who was, I can't remember, the seventh or the eighth pick of the draft in 2011. Um, that was... Bo Naylor, who came in actually over slot, they went to about two point six million or so on him, if I remember correctly. Uh, I think you offer a guy like Joe Mack two and a half, and and should be able to sign him.
0: So really, could real the- quick, before we find other other guys, that you like at twenty three, I wanna I wanna bring this up because I'm I'm people might ask. So Harry Ford and Joe Mack are both catchers, and some people might say, well, why draft a catcher at twenty three when you have Bondear you just took a few years ago and and all that stuff. So why why does that not matter? And then also does I think I I know for sure I know I know because you know that it doesn't matter where Harry Ford plays the bat will be fine. But what about Joe Mack and his bat if he does not stay a catcher?
1: I think that he would be a first baseman or a left fielder. That's optional. Sure. I can't talk. <laughs> that's that's. Um... That's something that you. I think you run a risk with Joe Mack that you don't run with Harry Ford. I'll put it to you that way. Harry Ford is so athletic. There's so much speed, arm, power, so many tools there to think he's going to be an everyday player and it should probably be away from catcher to maximize his athleticism and his hitting ability. Um, Joe Mack, on the other hand, you're banking that, hey, he's probably going to be a catcher and if he's not, he's a first baseman and that's going to be disappointing if he becomes a first baseman, but he could also handle left field and be a quality left fielder. Um, so there's some risk there. I think Joe Mack can handle catcher and I think he will. He, he again, by the way, is a bloodlines guy. His brother is in the Twins system. Um, Charles plays shortstop with the twins.
0: Okay. And why, and why, I, I think you've kind of mentioned with Harry Ford because it doesn't matter where he plays. But for people who might not be draft Knicks like you are, and, and me learning from you, why does it, you know, when you have, you take a Bo Naylor in the first round a couple of years ago, um, why does it not matter the position here at 23 if you take one of these two guys?
1: Where's Bo Naylor at in three or four years? You know, he's, he's um, several years into being on the big club, in all likelihood. But you can never have enough catching depth. Um, you can never have enough athletes, particularly a player like Harry Ford. I don't think you can look at your major league roster and draft that way. You have to take the player that you believe in is going to be the best player at that position that fits the way that you draft. Um, as I said, I believe that this will be an underslot pick. And I think that he could potentially be the best player for Cleveland on Cleveland's board. Um, He may not necessarily be there on my board. Um, He is somebody I have above a couple of other players that I really like. And, and, you know, I've talked about ad nauseum um, with Peyton Stovall and and Carson Williams. Um, I believe Max sticks behind the plate. The only thing that would pull him away would be maybe an arm injury or he just did not advance like you think he's going to with the bat. But he's a guy that makes good contact. He's strong and shows the ability to drive the ball. You don't need him to be anything more than just an average hitter, and he already has a better than average hit tool, according to many. And you don't need him to show average or better power. You just need him to be a quality defender. And and, you know the catching position is obviously changing and will change in the years to come. But I think he will be a quality offensive player, but I think he'll be a strong defender.
0: He mentioned Peyton Stovall. Uh I like I like Peyton Stovall. I like a lot of the second baseman in this class, to be honest with you. I do too. Um Carson Williams is another guy um we keep talking a lot about. And I, I'm I'm more interested the more we talk about him because, you know, could be a pitcher if if things don't work out hitting wise, but um it sounds like I don't want I don't wanna, you know, I don't know. It, you mentioned from somebody else saying he could be this year's Carson Tucker, and um, it, it, that just sounds about right because he's a guy who's gotten a little bit bigger as the year has come uh, come along, and and is th- athletic and can hit. So that's a guy that we've talked about a lot, like you just said, Ed Najm, and um, who else? At, at, is there anybody else at twenty three? You think it's
1: I I really think it'll come down to one of those bats. If if it's a bat, it'll come down to one of those bats there. I don't think that they're going to look for a college bat there. Um, Maybe they go off the board and surprise us and and take a guy like Trey Sweeney who would, you know, kind of fit the draft model, so to speak. Um, And you could probably get under slot because he's a college guy. He's young for the class. Uh, He's a shortstop, obviously. He has advanced hitting tools. Um, above average power. He's got a strong arm, should be able to handle third base if you don't think he's going to be a shortstop. He would be a surprise pick, but I think that would be a pleasant surprise too, because I think he'll eventually move through whatever team system um, that drafts him relatively quickly because of his hitting ability.
0: So there's a lot of options in play. What you're saying at 23, there's a lot of more options in play pitcher-wise and there are hitter-wise. It's it's Harry Ford if the universe and the, there's a full moon and then the planets align if the stars align. Harry Ford gets there, which you and I both think is very unlikely, but if it is, then that's your 1-1 one, one pick. Mac, maybe, Stovall, and, and Carson Williams. So very few hitters they'll probably consider at 23 versus pitching, it sounds like.
1: Yeah, I think the, the opportunity for hitters is just a little bit more narrow at this point in the draft. Um, I mean, there's other guys, there's a Josh Baez that's there that makes sense in some aspect. Then again, you know, I don't think I even mentioned him on this piece and it wasn't a slight at him. It's just, is he going to hit? We know he can hit for power. We know he's extremely athletic. He's a cold weather player. Um, he's young for class and, um, has a, a plus arm, and he's probably going to end up over in right field. But there's a lot of, not that this is a bad comp, but there's a lot of Will Benson there. And will they run that risk again? Because it seems like they've put an emphasis on guys with hitting ability, the ability to put bat on ball, you know, and that's kind of what the focus was here, is all of these guys project to have 50, 55 grade bats, or better, um,
0: as they ascend through the minors. Yeah, Baez is a guy, for sure, who has slipped in a lot of mock drafts. I mean, I guess it depends on where you look, but some people have him as with a, a top 40 ranking, but nobody's mocking him in the first two rounds because of the risk there. So that's going to be really interesting. Not only that, I think he's, what, a Vanderbilt commit? And those guys – you know, sometimes they make it to campus, and that's a big risk.
1: Yeah, they don't—they don't, they don't um, come
0: easy. You pay a, a big price on those guys. Yeah, Tristan McKenzie was one of those guys. All right, Eddie Eddie Hitters at fifty-eight and sixty-nine, because that—that seems to be more of the the range where they'll start looking at maybe a couple hitters. Cody Schreier, the um, prep shortstop from J. Sarah Catholic.
1: Uh, I know Jeff Ellis threw his name out there as somebody that they're watching. He checks the boxes you know he's a younger shortstop um i think he's eventually either a second baseman or third baseman i'd prefer him at third base because i think his power will play there um i've seen a variety of grades on his bat i've watched video of him i think he's going to have at least an average bat uh but if cleveland is eyeballing him that heavily it gives you an indication that they believe that that bat's going to come around too um He's a lot of fives, if you will, a lot of just average grades, and that's a good thing. That means you're going to get a good player potentially in the second round if they were to choose him and there was some talk that he may be an under-slot pick at 23. I don't think he is. I think he's still there at 58, possibly, um, or possibly there at even 69. Maybe you can buy him down if you like him that much. You can offer him a little bit more to float him back a little bit. Uh, Somebody I would be happy with. Edwin Arroyo you know I really like uh we drafted him in the Prospects Live mock draft he's somebody that screams Cleveland Indians pick very similar to Jordis Valdez in that um not not necessarily from the lower 48 he came here from Puerto Rico and went to school in Florida but he's also one of the youngest players in the draft. He is immensely athletic. He pitches and throws left-handed, but he's naturally a right-hander and plays shortstop and throws right-handed. Not only that, he reaches 96 across the mound. I'm sorry, not across the mound, but across the diamond. And some have put plus grades on his defense, on his running ability, on his glove. That's a player I say, how in the world did he last this long if he has that kind of tools? It's because the hit tool's not there yet. Um, you're looking at a probably a fringe average to average at best bat, and he doesn't have a lot of power. Although that improved throughout the year, um, he hit a few more homers as as spring advanced, and that's what you want to see from a, a kid that's very young. And you know, we mentioned Noah Miller already. He's he's a player that could be available fifty eight, sixty nine. Maybe they could float down to to 95 a a switch hitter like Arroyo is a quality defender like Arroyo is um not said to be the hitter that his brother is but also said to be a, a good bat to ball guy videos I've seen of him I've liked um you mentioned liking second baseman in this draft class Connor Norby Tyler Black neither of those guys seem to me like they'll last there um, to even get to 58 or 69. But if Cleveland were to kind of break a trend and grab a a, a college bat that early, either of those guys would be really good picks. Guys with high contact, um, Norby may be the better of those two. Some say it's black. I don't care. I think they're both going to be excellent second baseman um, with on-base skills. And Norby has plus speed. Um, you know, a guy that has really gotten a lot of smoke lately Aaron Zavala from Oregon, a player that I know that you like, somebody I like. My understanding, he's played second base and third base, and he's played corner outfield. Not necessarily fast, but can get the job done. And somebody that probably ends up with an above average, maybe a plus bat. High contact rate, a guy that takes a ton of walks. Walks more than he strikes out, you know. Definitely a player I like that could potentially be at either of those picks, uh, fifty-eight or sixty-nine. Then again, there's been chatter he may go in the
0: back half of the
1: the first round to a team like Los Angeles, uh, the Dodgers.
0: Yeah, Zavala is, is one I've been keeping an eye on the last couple of days, and for sure the opinions are mixed. Some people do have him late in the first. Some people have him as a day two pick. Uh, I should I should have mentioned this too. And, and the the guys that Cleveland likes in the model there was. Um, if they walk more and they strike out as a hitter, that's for sure something they'll they'll pop. I have a feeling you mentioned all these second basemen. I have a feeling whatever whatever second baseman goes first, whether it's whether it's Peyton Stovall or whether it's um, I don't know anybody else, Tyler Black or Connor Norby. I feel like once one goes, you're going to see like a run. It's going to be you know and then and a, a cluster of picks. Those guys are going to go. I feel like just because they're going to go off the board around the same time and they have a bunch of it. I mean, all these guys have very similar skills. I feel like they're like you said, they all have average to above average bats and guys who could move pretty quick.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, I didn't mention a couple of other shortstops or prep shortstops, but Max Muncy, uh, Jackson Merrill and James Triantos, all of them guys that have the above average bat grades um, with above-average tools, whether that be arm or power. Um, all three of those guys are guys that could be late first-round guys because they've got a lot of hype. Maybe somebody cuts an underslot deal with one of them. Um, Los Angeles mm-hmm. doesn't have a second-round pick this year, so they could potentially grab one of those players. be interesting to see the Dodgers do what Cleveland did and draft a player by the same name of one of their current players. Um <laughs> I, I think that would be really fun, and then even if Cleveland took Max Muncy, I'd be really happy to have a Max Muncy on on the tribe. <laughs> yeah, just a lot of very similar, a lot of very similar middle infielders this year. I think a lot of these guys are second round talents, and um, you know I, I told you before that I think first round is going to be pitching heavy, and I think the second
0: round is probably going to be middle infield heavy. All things that fit Cleveland's draft profile. They love middle infielders. They love all kinds of pitching, whether it's power prep arms or uh, college arms with good command. Um, all right, so you kind of ran through that strategy wise. Let me let me roll this out here and see if you agree and if there's any tweaks you think that um, any surprises or anything I missed. So we did. You did mention the other day that. Scott Barnesby did a media session. He did kind of allude to spreading the pool around versus going heavy in one round. Um, that leads me to believe they'll go under slot with the first pick. I don't know if that necessarily means over slot with the second pick because of that, but, you know, like you mentioned, Petey Halpin and, and Mylon Tolentino are guys that got overslot later in the draft, not just second pick. Um, maybe they'll attempt to save some money with a college pitcher somewhere um, anything else strategy-wise that you think will will play out for them that I'm missing? I think we'll see a lot
1: of pitching. I think they're going to draft to their strengths, and I think this draft class lines up with their strengths really well. Um, I do expect – you know, I threw this out on Twitter. They draft four catchers every year. I think they'll draft two this year. <laughs> you have half the draft, so you get half the catchers. Um, I think catching yeah. is very weak in this draft class, so if you're going to get somebody, it, it may be Harry Ford or Joe Mack. Um, otherwise, you're waiting to round four or five or maybe round six and and popping somebody like Wyatt Hendry. Wyatt Hendry would be a great overdraft for them, in my opinion. Very similar to Brian Lavastida, uh, an outfielder turned catcher, um, but very athletic. A plus arm gets a lot of high grades for his defense back there, but a guy that takes a ton of walks. And doing that at San Diego State, you know, so he's doing it at a good-sized school. It's not like he's doing it at my alma mater, you know, which had 5,000 students when I was there.
0: (laughs) So you're saying I shouldn't get my hopes up for Carter Jensen, is what you're saying?
1: Yeah, Carter Jensen is probably going to LSU, would be my guess. Um, When you're not seeing a player like that mocked in drafts, that means there's some rumors out there. Floating around that, that player is likely to go to school. Maybe somebody falls in love with him and offers him what he can. You know, I like the bat, um, but it sounds like he's likely to be an LSU Tiger with the Ian Muller.
0: Yeah. Yeah, we talked about Missouri players, also, not a great track record um okay so real quick why don't you throw out a couple names you think are and i guess we already covered this guys are in play at 23 we talked about the pitchers there's a bunch of pitchers a bunch of hitters um are you firm on petty being the guy you like most at 23 i mean i guess okay harry ford and gunner holland if they're there those are your guys at 23 and then it's chase petty is that kind of your order
1: Um, I would pop Harry Ford above Hoagland just because I love the athleticism. Mm -hmm. I have him ranked higher. Um, But if one of those three is there, if Andrew Painter is there above Petty, I like like Painter better. You know, I'm willing to pay a little bit more because I believe in his stuff and what he can become. Um, Obviously, I believe that there's work to do with Petty. Uh, I think he's a very similar arm to Daniel Espino. I love the athleticism. I love the work ethic. I love that he took it on himself to improve and sought out what I think is a similar type of arm in Jack Leiter. A guy that's very explosive on um, a smaller, similar type compact frame, 6'1", 200. Um, You know, Petty, as I said, could have three plus pitches. I would be very happy with him. It, it just depends on who's there, but if I had to make the pick and those other guys are gone, I'm taking Chase Petty there. And I'm offering him two and a half and uh, I'll move a little bit off of that, but I, I'm going under slot with Chase Petty at pick 23, if I can get him out at that. And, and I think I can because someone like Daniel Espino was ranked a little bit lower and top two and a half in the past.
0: Yeah. Petty is a Florida commit, So that, that might be tough, but I think you're right. I don't think he'll go. If he doesn't go in the first round, I guess he probably goes to school, but I don't know how many teams are in on him, just because, like, like we've talked about, the Indians are more likely to go for guys who are from cold weather areas and aren't as tall. Um, I feel like they're the one of the one of the few teams that are in on those kind of types, so they're not going to be uh, scared off by that, right? And more teams might be, and that's why maybe they that Petty doesn't have a whole lot of other you know teams out there that he's talking to that he thinks will grab him somewhere. So if the Indians get him at twenty three. Um, that, that that would suggest to me that they can get him under slot because there's a lot of other teams out there that aren't really in on him the way they are, and he's not going to go any higher than that, so he might as well take the money. Um, Yeah, I, I'm with you at 23 on all those guys. I'm with you on – I like Painter a lot just because he's tall, and, and there's still some projection there, and uh, you don't see a lot of high school guys with his command and control. Uh, I'm with you on Ford and Hoagland and – Hey, if Will Bednar's there, same thing, you know, grab him. I think the one guy we both agree on at 23 we don't like is, is Michael McCreevy, who has had a lot of smoke there. Um, after talking to you about Joe Mack, I'm not really sure. I love the idea of Joe Mack at 23 um, just because of the risk involved. Uh, I think it's a settle
1: four him. pick. Um, it's not not a, a slight at him in any way, and – Watch him be picked on Sunday and, and I'll be happy with the pick, but I'll also have concerns <laughs> if he ever hurts that throwing shoulder, then he's not a catcher anymore.
0: Right. And we don't know if the bat's gonna play anywhere else for sure. Um I would love Peyton Stovall at at twenty three as well. Um any of the second baseman really. I mean, some of those other guys twenty three might be kinda kinda high for, but I would like any of those second um second basemen there. And then I'm buying Carson Williams, too. I think Carson Williams, you know, has a good enough arm and and can play anywhere on the diamond and is starting to get bigger and stronger a lot like Carson Tucker, like we talked about. So I think there's a lot of good ways for them to go um, at 23. Who who are your favorites at 58? I, uh, you know, obviously it depends on what happens at
1: 23. I don't think it matters as far as if they go prep bat, prep pitcher at one. I don't think it matters as much to them as you might think. I don't think they necessarily have to alternate. Um, So they could go back to back with similar profiles. Kind of like Kylie McDaniel projected in his mock draft today. He had them going with three pitchers in a row, which um, would seem extreme to some, but that's kind of like right up Cleveland's alley too, is they're an excellent organization at pitching development and, if those are the best players that are there then take them and then get the uh, position players later on um that would be the depth of the class I like a lot of the college arms that are there especially through the mid rounds so I think it's it's not necessarily a need to grab arms just because um they're there I think you can go for a bat uh with a similar grade if they're there um You know, I I mentioned Tommy Mace. He would be an excellent underslot guy. Dylan Smith, if he falls. I think Landon Marceau would be an overdraft at 58. So it's really going to depend on what plays out in front of them. If one of the second basemen slides to them, maybe they like Aaron Zavala. Uh, I think Edwin Arroyo, any of the series of shortstops that are there, um, Triantos. um, I don't think Carson Williams makes it to 58, but he's a guy I think you could underslot if if you don't think you can get petty for two and a half or um, say 2,750,000 or whatever, you know, if you can't get a guy like him under slot, then maybe you go for a Carson Williams and give him two and a quarter or two and a half and be very happy that you got him with that because, you know, I, I think he's a guy that's ascending draft boards and I think he would be an excellent pick at 23. Um, as you and I said earlier in the weekend in a, one of our direct messages, I think you or Jared said that um, he's this year's Carson Tucker. And then my friend Tondo, as he's known on Twitter, um, also sent that randomly, you know, without 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 any interaction between the the rest of us, um, kind of sent that to me independently uh, as a comment, which I found really interesting. And I find it that he's like minded and uh definitely somebody that really knows the draft. I, I was very intrigued to see him say that to uh to me last night. Um So I'd be really happy with Williams at 23, somebody I could see slip into 58. Um I mocked Edwin Arroyo there, but I think he could also be available at 69. I think you're looking at similar type players at 58 and 69 because there's only 10 picks between them. Maybe you can float a guy there. Um uh, somebody like Dalen Lyle that I've mentioned to you several times in the last few days. He's drawn Michael Brantley comparisons because of his um approach at the plate, his willingness to take walks. He's not a not a big power guy, but he's gonna get on base and he's gonna, you know, hit a lot of line drives. Um, but he's also a Louisville commit and you're gonna have to pay to get him on into the minor league system. I, I say if you're gonna go that route, go with Aaron Zavala because you can get him cheaper, and you can get this similar type of bat. So, you know, the kind of kind of my thoughts on fifty-eight and sixty-nine.
0: All good picks. Give me, I'm all in on on uh, Aaron Zavala, as you know. So I'm all over that at, at 58. If he gets there, oh yeah, I um, I, and I if the Indians, I mean whoever takes him, I would imagine if he goes in the in the if he goes in the first two rounds, I'd imagine whoever takes him thinks that there's a chance he can play infield, and that's why you're betting on him there. So um, that would tell me the Indians think he can play infield and not is not stuck as an outfielder. We'll see where that goes. I mean, if he's not, if he's gone, um, Gage Jump. I don't know. It, it, there's that vertical arm slot. That's going to be a guy though who you're gonna have to overpay to get on onto into your system. I think Gage Jump. So those are my two guys at at 58. I mean, all the other guys. Edwin Aurelio, I like. I think Edwin aurelio has got a chance for some good power. I saw a couple clips of him today, and he was driving the ball pretty nicely. Um, in some of his games, so I, I like the power potential there as a as a middle infielder, and I, I don't think that, like you said, I don't think Norby or Black get down to 58, but if they do, you know, those are guys that I think have good value, and I like Tyler Black a lot. Tyler Black is, I mean, from Wright State, Wright State's the, the school that produced Sean Murphy, so they've got some sneaky um, players they've developed there, and I don't know, we've heard that maybe is too high for Noah Miller, but I like the idea of Noah Miller. I like the switch hitting shortstop with bloodlines. I think that makes a ton of sense at fifty eight for them or and I, I don't know. Does he get to sixty nine?
1: Possibly. I I ranked him I think in the eighties as far as um my rankings go, you know, and that wasn't a slight towards him. Um I had Edwin Arroyo in the seventies, you know. There's just a lot of depth and very similar talent this year. Um, how to differentiate, you know, and I I really like Arroyo because of his youth. He's eight months younger than Miller. Um, Then you have guys like Jackson, Merrill, and James Triantos that have climbed draft boards of late and have put themselves in the conversation too. And and you know I didn't mention him a minute ago, but I like Nick McLean, the center fielder and brother of uh, Matt McLean. He may be a guy you have to overslot because he's a UCLA commit. I know you mentioned um, Gage Jump a minute ago. I don't even think he reaches pick 58. I have him 23 on my board, uh, which lines up right with Cleveland's pick. You know, if if he was an underslot at 23, hey, I think it's a great pick. I know Jared would love that. He'd be thrilled. Um, but I, as I said a minute ago, I think when you start talking 58 and 69, you're talking the same range very similar players you might be able to slip one a little bit lower by offering some money if you absolutely want the guy
0: Mm -hmm. well you mentioned a lot of guys at 69 too i'm i'm not gonna give my favorite 69 because um that would just be me guessing and picking guys that i actually know you actually know the fits there so 58 is about where i kind of cut out as far as who i feel comfortable talking about in those ranges so um Anybody you haven't mentioned that you like at 69, if you haven't already brought him up yet? Uh, Give me just a second here. We talked about Landon Marceau.
1: He's one that I mocked there, um, and and I think I mentioned him a minute ago. He's actually a guy that I think could be a picket at at, uh, 95 or 124. I think he's probably a third or fourth Mm -hmm. round. Again, 6'1", 190, 180, smaller frame he's going to get knocked because of that um but he's a guy that had 10 plus strikeouts per 9 in the SEC and a walk rate I think of 2.3 in the SEC so that's above average plus range of um of control you know and somebody that gets above average grades for his slider and his changeup already his knock is he's throwing 91 92 and then hits 94 on occasion. You know He's not blowing people away with a fastball in the mid-90s. He's a small frame frame guy that is going to get by. By um, Obviously, he can strike guys out too, but he's just not blowing it by him in the mid-over-90s like some teams like. But I think if you like control and Cleveland likes control, you consider a guy like that. Your model may say, hey, this is the best guy available, and guess what? You pick him there. He's average age, but I think – this strong track record in the sec speaks a lot because you're facing some of the best competition in the country in the sec on a regular basis. Um, I'd be happy with him at 69. I'd be happy with him at 95.
0: Yeah, we'll see where things go there. Um, Again, read, I mean, this is, we're, we're really deep. We're over an hour deep here. So if you're still listening, you love the draft. I'm assuming you've already read the pieces, but if not, they're up on the website. The pitching one is, and then the hitting one will be up tomorrow. Um, we'll run through the re- most recent mocks real quick. I'll just um, call out where they've been, and then we'll get to some questions. And we'll let people mercifully stop listening if they're still listening. Um, <laughs> Baseball America today had Harry had Harry Ford, at, or I'm sorry, Joe Mack at 23 today. So Joe Mack at 23 um, on Baseball America talked about him. ESPN today had. Um, Gunner Hoagland at Ole Miss, we mentioned that. That's the first time we've seen him get there. Fangraphs has been pretty consistent with Chase Betty at 23. Uh, they should have one more mock, I think, coming out. Keith Law today had another one. Um, originally, he had Michael McGreevy there at, at 23 for the Indians, and uh, today he had Anthony Solometo, the left-hander from uh, New Jersey, uh, with that big long arm swing. That will be Interesting. Something else the Indians won't be scared off by MLB.com was the one that had Harry Ford to the Indians. That would be wild, like we all talked about, and a great one. And then um, Prospects Live had Michael McGreevy. They've that's two in a row for Mike for them uh, connecting the Indians and Michael McGreevy. So we'll see what happens there. Um, we didn't really talk about him. I, I don't want to. I don't want to go too much deeper because we've already gone pretty long. But you know, and we're not really fans of McGreevy at 23 just because of. The lack of upside. And uh, so I don't know. Some people think there's upside and some don't. I think we don't really think there's upside with Michael McGreevy at 23. I think he is what he is. He has yeah. control
1: and will move quickly. You get a good number three starter. In round one, I want a
0: number one or a number two starter. I'd agree. And then you've been right on the whole time with uh, Chase Petty at 23. That's where our, our mock is. And I think that's where we're going to stay. You no no. Yeah. You had petty in our most recent mock that we're going to hopefully finish up here. It's been in the works for a couple days. Um, let's get to some questions. I'll throw these out and you can answer them because you'll be better to answer these. than I will um, Christy Davies over at uh, covering the corner guys. We like a lot. Um, do you expect Cleveland to stick to its MO of drafting a player, a young first class or to buck the trend for someone?
1: I think they will stay with their model. I think they will stay with their philosophy and stay, what's, stay with what's been successful. I will add to that Logan Allen was the oldest player that they had drafted last year um, at nearly 22 years old. And because of the push from last year to this year, for a lot of players, you'll probably see them with some guys like a Robert Gasser that's a little bit older than normal but not exceptionally older. Um, I would not be surprised if they go with somebody like a Wyatt Hendry, or maybe they pick a a senior pick early, like a Scott Randall, who's already 23, or Dylan Dodd, a 23-year-old senior, with what I would say is 70 control. He has a a 1.8 career walk rate, so somebody that can thread the needle and um, a left-handed pitcher that might profile as a reliever. I think there's a possibility they pick up a few guys that that um, buck the trend, so to speak.
0: All right. Michael Mahoney wants to know, or says, okay, considering the organization's success with pitching, it isn't surprising to see them mocked a pitcher high. What sort of position players may enter the first-round conversation for Cleveland, still young, high upside in the years past, or more of a prep prep bat type? Well, you kind of covered that pretty well earlier, talking about Carson – Williams and Joe Mack, and, and if they're lucky, Harry Ford, and um, I don't know. I don't I – don't, I guess Peyton Stovall probably not an option at 23, right?
1: I think Stovall's an
0: option. Um,
1: I think he can fall out of bed hitting. Um, he's a, currently a shortstop. He's relatively young for the class. Um, I'd put a 60 grade on the bat. The thing is I, I think you lose value with him because he moves over to second base – has great comp on him though of Todd Walker. I like that comp. I think that would be a great pick as long as you can get him under slot. So again, middle infielder, Carson Williams, middle infielder, Joe Mack, Harry Ford, catcher, catcher. So you're looking middle of the diamond type players. I doubt Harry Ford is there. I would I would really think it's down to an arm or Carson Williams, to be honest.
0: I'd have to agree with you. Um Bryson. Uh, big minor league baseball fan, uh, fun kid, wants to know thoughts on Joshua Baez as a first pick to the Indians.
1: Um, you know, I, I covered Baez a minute ago. I don't think the hit tool that they like is there. And there's been some concerns whether he can hit a slider or not. Um, is he going to hit the breaking pitches? I, I think we already have an outfilter like that, Daniel Johnson. Um <laughs> Yeah. I uh I don't know that why take a Toolsy guy that is struggling. I let him go to Vanderbilt because I think he requires an overslot signing or, or more than I'm comfortable paying him, I'll put it to you that way. I don't see Josh Baez as the Indians pick, which means they're gonna pick him on Sunday.
0: <laughs> yeah. Either pick him on Sunday or he winds up at Vanderbilt. <laughs> uh look the way that goes. And our last question, loyal listener Nun is uh, Nunzio Izzo. Willie uh, really was suggesting this is more of a this is more of how the draft uh, affects the system. But you were suggesting that adding as many a dozen pitchers in this draft, possibly, um, where do they have room to fit them all? Question is, how many current players can be expected to be released after the draft?
1: Okay, so I heard yesterday that the. Minor league system is limited to 180 players, but players who are assigned to the Dominican Summer League do not count against rosters. Um, That being said, there are some players that are in Arizona that could be assigned to the Dominican Summer League. I think that you can assign injured pitchers to the Dominican Summer League with them never leaving Arizona or wherever they're rehabbing at. Um, So I don't think that you have to necessarily release a dozen Players to sign a dozen players. I don't think that comes into play, but I don't, or I'll I'll say I won't be surprised if there is some fat trimmed, so to speak, um, to allow for opportunity for new talents. But there's also some backlog talent, so to speak, sitting in Arizona that would like an opportunity or that needs opportunity. Um, do org guys get released? I don't know, but it looks like they've been adding arms recently in the free agency signings. So I think adding arms in the draft would be an easy projection. Um, does one have anything to do with the other? Yes and no. Um, I'll throw out the international free agent signing period. They don't focus very heavy on the arm talent there. They sign a lot of position players because it's lower risk. I think with the depth of this class and what Cleveland is good at developing, they could draft as many as 12
0: arms this year. Yep. I would agree with you. They don't, they don't really spend heavy money on international pitchers because I think they don't usually have enough Intel to project control command, which is obviously what they value very heavily over there. I mean, gosh, the last prominent international arm I can really think of. I mean, there's Luis Oviedo who's, Obviously, it was a Rule Five pick with the Pirates, who, by the way, is pitching tonight against Columbus. That's the highest um, highest level he's been at besides the majors. Um, Danny Salazar. There's just not a lot of international arms that they've really. Francisco Perez is up to Columbus now. There's just not a lot of international arms they've hit on. Carlos, yeah, Carlos, Carlos for two hundred fifty
1: thousand. Um, Tanaj Thomas, who was traded to the Pirates, he signed for three hundred
0: thousand as a third baseman. Right, I was going to say, he didn't sign him as a pitcher, so that that's another thing right there. Um,
1: yeah, I, I'd, I'd imagine you're
0: going to see some guys released after the draft is over, once guys get placed, especially without having a short season um, league to send some guys to. You might see some of those college players they take end up at Lynchburg or maybe even Lake County. You might see some older guys released. Um, I don't know about pitchers, though, at all. For We'll see. Uh, they need pitching, so... All right, anything else you wanna throw out there? We're in an hour and a half Willie. We've really dug dug deep on the draft here deeper than I ever imagined.
1: Thanks for listening and thanks for tolerating and um giving me the opportunity to
0: share my passion yeah this was fun um yeah, if you listened this long, thank you so much if you're if you listened at all, thank you very much and um make sure you're following Willie all week. I know he's all prepped and ready to go. He's got time off. He's going to be all over it. So W I L L H O O 99 on Twitter, official underscore IBI on Twitter, jail underscore baseball on Twitter. Um, I'll be working from home next week for the draft. So I'll be paying attention as much as I can It'll be a lot easier for me to do it working from home versus um, being in the office, but thanks so much. And uh, definitely if you got this far, if you're not a subscriber yet, there's going to be a lot more of this written content uh, coming your way for subscribers. So $4.99 a month uh, gets you all that, gets you everything we've done to up to this point anyway, and it'll get you um, enough time to see how we re-rank the prospects in August after the draft and after the trade deadline. So everybody have a great weekend and uh, enjoy the draft. <laughs>